I had a calling to start this ministry back 20 years ago. No, 25 years ago. 25 years ago. 1996, I was saved and, uh, and on fire for the Lord and teaching a Sunday school class at a big church here in Hereford and, and having a lot of fun. And, you know, it was, it was, just, it was just an awesome time. And, and uh, we, had, we had built a new feed yard and the business was doing really well. And just everybody was, we were getting blessed on every turn. And, and the Lord, you know, began to give me a vision of a ministry out here at this. This is an old roping facility. It was built in 1982. And they held team ropings and calf ropings out here. And, and it was in, it was in a, 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 a dispute between two partners. It was in the, in the possession of a district court in Amarillo. And the Lord just kind of gave me a vision of coming out here and starting to do church services in it. And so that was innocent enough. And I thought, well, okay, that'll be great. I had no idea where it was going to all go. Hallelujah. <laughs> Aren't you glad don't, the Lord don't show you the whole thing? I mean, you know, you go, you go, I'm crazy. You're crazy. I'm not doing that. Anyway, we started having meetings out here once a month. And we, we, the ministry was, I've never seen an anointing for salvations like this ministry. You know, we, we didn't have the lights on out here in the barn half the time because there was a dispute between the court. We had to set up, we had to set up halogen lights because they didn't want us to turn electricity on, burning electricity. They'd let us use the facility, but they didn't want to accumulate any bills and get disputes over who's going to pay for them and stuff. So, uh, so they gave me a key to the barn, but we have meetings in here. So we set up halogen lights and, and we take a bale of hay and set up along the, uh, hay bales along the arena for an altar. And then, you know, we would have a different preacher. I uh, had some of the great cowboy preachers uh, uh, of the time, Jeff Copenhaver, Randy Bird, uh, Monty Price. Man, every month we just had a, had a great big, and we'd have a big crowd come. Monty Price had a beautiful daughter, and she sang, and she was gorgeous. And whenever she came, we had a lot of the young men would come to that service, I noticed. So I learned something about ministry pretty quick there. But... Uh, but we would give an invitation. I remember one time, uh, we did everything wrong. So if you had a book you could write about how not to do church services, we did all of those things. All of those things you're not supposed to do. We did all, and it'd be 100 degree heat out there in the barn. And, and we'd have a big crowd come and we'd give an invitation and we had, we had, we had people would just come. We, I don't know how many, I don't know how many hundreds of people got saved in that first six months. I remember one, one night, Randy gave an invitation and People came forward and, and someone tripped over the extension cord that was keeping our lights on and all the lights went dark just like this and people tried to get to the altar. I heard a lot of stumbling and groaning and things and I thought, oh my God, when we get the lights back on, this is going to be bad, you know. And so we turned the lights on, finally got everything plugged back in and the altars are full. And so one Easter, we had an Easter, this was this, we had an Easter service upstairs that's an old bar where the children's church are i don't know if you know that that was the bar of the original thing and so we had our easter services in our bar not many churches can make that statement hallelujah and and so randy bird was was real spontaneous kind of a guy he didn't believe in much planning and he just rolled with it and so he preached his easter message the place was packed and we had a little machine a portable sound machine with a tape player see we didn't even have cds back then we had little cassette tapes and we had a tapes player stuck in there, and, and he gave an invitation, and he told me, I was the music guy, so you knew you were in trouble. You, you get some idea of the incompetence of this all now, see. He said, okay, hit it, guy, just play something. So I just stuck a tape in and hit the play button, and out come achy, breaky heart for Jesus. 
and a guy got saved. I couldn't believe it. It's probably still his favorite song. Oh, God. It was a wreck. But, but, but the anointing of God was there, and that's all that really matters. Amen? And then the ministry began to grow and grow. And Romans eleven twenty nine says the gifts and calling are, of God are irrevocable. And I remember the day that God called me to pastor this church, and I didn't want to pastor it. i just be honest. I didn't want to be ordained. I, didn't, I, I wanted to help. I wanted to be around. I wanted to give to it. But I had a successful business, and I didn't want to quit and go into full-time ministry. And uh, I, I can take you to the spot. I can tell you the time of the day. I can tell you the date that God called me into ministry. I have a lot of people that say, well, I'm called. And I go, so tell me, what was your calling like? Well, you mean you can't describe it? You don't have, no, it's kind of like saying, are you married? Yeah, I'm married. Well, tell me what your wedding was like. Well, you know, I don't really remember. You know, you remember when you have that kind of an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, I didn't want to do it, but I, but I finally, and I finally, he drug me kicking and screaming into the ministry. But, but, but the gifts and calling are given without revocation. In other words, when you're called to do something for the Lord, there is no backing out. You can't decide you're, you're tired and you want to quit. You can say, I'm tired, and you can take a sabbatical. And you can do a lot of things to help try to get yourself in a better place. And you can have people, and you need people to go to when you're feeling really, really need encouragement. You need all of that. But what you can't do is you can't quit because God owns you. When he calls you, he owns you. And I had to learn that the hard way. And so we started the ministry, and, and about, 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 as, just as we started it, I got this vision. He gave me this vision out of 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face, that I'll hear from heaven. And if they'll turn from their wicked ways, and I'll hear them from heaven, and I will forgive their sin. And, he, and I got this vision, and this vision was an encounter with the Holy Spirit. And in the vision that I got, I had pictures of, I, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. I've talked about it ad nauseum. But I saw the jails empty and the churches full. I saw all ethnic groups playing together. I saw the houses were unlocked. Nobody locked up anything because there, I saw drug dealers that were saved and preaching on the street corners. I saw churches growing in abundance. But the thing that struck me, and I, I'm not saying this is a literal thing. Please understand me. God communicates to you in visions. And sometimes the vision may not be literal, but he's trying to, com he's trying to communicate a concept to you. And in the, in the vision, I saw stirrup high grass. I've heard of that from the old timers my whole life. I've never seen it. I saw stirrup high grass. I saw the land had been healed. I saw, I saw, I saw uh, elevators bursting with grain. I saw, I saw prosperity like breaking out everywhere. It's like, it's like the Lord communicated with me in things that I understood. And what he was trying to say to me was, is you have no idea how I can heal and prosper this whole community if they will just turn from their sin. If my people called by my name, not the sinners, we'll take care of them later. If my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray. I'll heal your land. I'll heal your community. There were no social problems. Kids played together in the streets. We had no problems in the schools. It was an amazing vision. And it began to consume me, and I tried to give it to somebody else. I tried to, tried to tell other people about it and say, you need to pray about this, and uh, <laughs> to no avail. In fact, most of the people that I went to 
I, I had no idea. I had no idea the magnitude of this new thing. I had no idea of it. In Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, two years ago, the prophet released this word, don't remember the former things nor consider the things of old. For behold, I'm doing a new thing. Can you perceive it? It shall spring forth. And, and can you perceive it? For even I'll even make a road in the wilderness and I'll make rivers in the desert. God is doing a whole new thing in his church. A whole new thing. No generation is seeing, has ever seen what you're about to see. God is going to do. And I had no idea how new that new was. Because when I started going to these other churches and I started telling them, this vision, I've had this vision, they just thought I was crazy. And I couldn't get them to believe it. I couldn't get them to even talk about it. They just thought I was a nut. And, and, and for a long time, I started thinking, heck, maybe they're right. Maybe I have gone crazy. But after a while, I began to see there was nothing wrong with me. There was something wrong with the churches. The churches were dead. The churches had no capacity. They had turned into a country club. It's a place you go where you want to sell insurance or real estate. It was, it was nothing but a, they had no capacity to believe for the supernatural whatsoever. I began to figure out why people didn't go there and get healed. No chance of that happening. That's God calling and saying, man, this is really good. I just, I began to see that there was something fundamentally wrong with the church of Jesus Christ. It had become dead. It had been spiritless. And, and then I began to, the Lord just took me on this journey where I began to study church history and things. And I realized kind of like, this is the thing that Jesus said would happen. The Sardian church. He said, you have a name that you have life, but you haven't got nothing. Inside you're dead. Repent. And so I, 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 here I am and I've got this vision and I've got nobody that has the capacity to believe it and God began to send me people. He sent me Val. Hallelujah. He sent me, he sent me Gail Ward. He began to send me people, Roger and Bill, who are out doing ministry somewhere or playing golf, one of the two. I don't know which one it is, but they, they he began to send me people that had... That had, that had that same, you know, I had that same, I had that same vision, and, 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 and I began to get encouraged. And then what I began to see was, really, in all of this, is what I began to see was what, what Isaiah, <clears throat> what, I, what Isaiah said in, in Isaiah 6, verses 9 through 10. The Lord told Isaiah, he commissioned Isaiah, and here's what he said to him. Go to them and tell them, keep on hearing, but don't understand. Keep on seeing, but don't perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. Shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and return and be healed. I'm going, What's a, that's a crazy thing to say. I had, but I had no idea that this would apply to the modern church. This was not just to the Jews back in that day, the religious people back in that day. It was to the religious people in this day as well. God said, you keep preaching to them and I have shut their eyes. They cannot see it. You, you can preach until you're blue in the face. You can run slides. You can, do, you can do presentations. You can show them videos. And they're not going to be able to see it. So stop it. Quit trying to convince religious people not to be religious. And go out and start and build a new church, a new work. Are you kidding me? I just barely got used to this pastoring thing. How in the world am I going to do that? I forgot it's not about me. It's about him. 
And he said, you go out and you begin to continue to teach the vision to those that will hear it. And he said, you just go out there and you begin to bring people. I will send you people to disciple and to help and to train that will begin to be able to have the capacity to not only, not only to, to see your vision, but to believe in it, to be a part of it. And we're going to do, we're going to do a completely new thing, man. I mean, like, this is off the charts. I mean, we, we're reinventing, we're reinventing. I, first I thought, I thought, we're just reinventing the rules. And then I went back to the book of Acts and studied that church. And I go, wait a minute, that's the way that church worked. I figured out Acts is not a history book, it's a blueprint. That's the way the church is supposed to function. Because if you can believe for a big vision like this, you ain't got no trouble believing for healing for somebody that's in an ICU ward in Santa Fe. If you, if you, if you, have, if you have a vision, if, you have, if you've been touched by a powerful vision, you know what the difference between a, a vision and a dream is? Intensity level. You can, we all have dreams. I mean, you can have a dream and you can get excited about that dream. But when you have a vision, the vision begins to consume you. It begins to take over your life. It begins to guide you and to direct you. It begins to take over in ways you don't even understand it's taking over. And, and I was just like Joseph. I did not understand the vision was not for now. The vision was going to come to pass, but it was going to do one part of the vision. Part of the vision that I got was people moving here from big cities like San Francisco and Los Angeles and New York and Chicago. And they were moving here. And I did not understand why they were coming here. And I didn't understand, I didn't understand what, 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 what they were doing. What did they do when they came here? And, and, you know, I didn't know about Zoom in the year 2000. And now my son's here visiting. Happy birthday, by the way. It's Zach's birthday today. My son's here from Kansas City, and he's, he's worked every day on his computer in my house, eating my groceries, I want to point out too, by the way. That's a win-win. And so, and so, so I didn't, I couldn't, I couldn't, when I got this vision, I didn't understand how parts of it were going to happen, but they're happening and they're happening right now. And that the people that couldn't believe, it wasn't like, I've seen people that have lost their faith because they faced a trial that was so tough and it was so, it, it began to erode their faith and, 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 and it was hard and there was hurt and disappointment. And I understand all of that and I've seen that and I've helped people through that. I've been there sometimes nearly my own self. But the people that I talked to that refused to believe the vision, that wasn't the problem. That wasn't where their faith went. They were content. They didn't want to rock the boat. They were successful. We can't be getting involved in no foolishness like that. What would people think? They were, they were the rich young ruler who Jesus loved. And he said, what you need to do to really heal your life is give everything you've got away. I can't do that, Lord. I got too much stuff. Because what wealth does is it brings a strong sense of self-sufficiency. And I had guys that helped me start this church who I love, who were very successful in the cattle business. And when I got off into this vision, I think they went like, adios, amigos. I can't be, that's getting crazy. Amen. And I realized that that's the condition of the American church. It's the lukewarm church from Revelation. I'm behold, I'm at the door knocking. You think you're rich, but you're really poor. I'm willing to come in if you'll let me. But most of them don't want the Spirit of God to come into their church because he might shake things up. And they've got things arranged the way they like them. Those are the people that I'm talking about that have lost their faith. They don't have the faith to do big things. So the Lord said, you're going to raise up heal land churches and heal land ministries. And I go, what? I'm going to do what? 
I'm going to use you. You're going to, Lord the, you're going to raise them up, people that can believe. I felt completely overwhelmed. The Lord put a man in my life named Jim Clark from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. He was a great apostle. 260 ministries around the world. He had started, set up, planted. And here he is in my church with a rodeo stadium attached to it. That's what he called it. I said, Jim, it's an arena. Can you just say arena? When you say rodeo stadium, they know you ain't from around here. <laughs> but he was intrigued with the vision and, and the craziness that the crazy ways God had brought me and Carol through, the things he brought us through. And he, and he said, I'm going to help you. See, that's what a, an apostle does. An apostle doesn't make you subscribe to his vision. What an apostle does is an apostle helps you manifest the vision that God's given you. He helps you bring it to pass. And so he began to teach me, and, and I thought he was teaching me how to. He said, he wrote a book. I say this all the time. He wrote a book called 101 Things Every Minister uh, uh, needs to know, needs to do. And he said, you need to write a companion book. And I thought, oh, wow. My chest got all swelled out. I said, I, I will, I will. What will it be about? He said, the title of it will be 101 Things Never to Do in Ministry because you've done them all and somehow you've survived. <laughs> but I began to learn from him how the church is supposed to be organized and functioning. See, the problem with the church in the West and in America is we broke the governance. Ephesians 4, 11 through 12 says to the church, it says to some he gave to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry and to, and, and to, and to, and to edify the church. So there's a governing system of apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and saints that are supposed to be over the church. And so the word tribes, I call them the word tribes, they're all word and no spirit. They deify the word. How do they deify the word? They claim that after Jesus was, after the, the word was canonized, that the Holy Spirit quit working. There's, there's nowhere in their Bible, the word that they love, there's nowhere in there that it says that. What it says is in Hebrews 13, it says, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And here's what he said, greater works than I did will you do. It says in 1 John, it said, the whosoever, whosoever believes on him, greater works will they do. And, so, and so, so where is that Holy Spirit quitting thing? I don't see that anywhere. On, on top of that, there have been 10 million there's been a million uh, 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 documented miracles that have happened in the modern era in the church from churches that have prayed in Africa and China and South America and all these places where the Holy Spirit is moving in fire. There's, there's been millions and millions documented. They have, the, they have the medical evidence. They have the x-rays before and the x-rays after. And then there's been... How many millions, how many tens of millions more miracles do you think they had where nobody bothered to collect the evidence? What's wrong? Those churches are organized under an apostolic form of governance. They have a government structure that allows the Holy Spirit to move in a way that's responsible. So, I began to learn all this from him. And I didn't want to learn it. And I resisted. We had a prophet that used to come here from, from down by San Antonio. He was the greatest prophet I was ever. Brother Webb Weber. How many of you remember Brother Webb? My God, I've never seen anything like him. He would read your mail. 
I hate to go to lunch with him because he'd have the he would have the waitress in tears before we got done. Because he would just say, you know, I know you're struggling, your baby's sick at home. Blah, blah, blah. She knew he didn't know what he could know. Lord wants you to know it's going to be. I mean, stuff like that all the time. He just absolutely was a miraculous prophet. And he used to come here the first time he came here. I didn't. He, I didn't tell him about all this stuff. He didn't know all this stuff. I just got his name from Roger and I invited him to come. And so he comes. He didn't know anything about my history and any of that. So he first thing he does on my door or my office is says, Pastor Guy's office. I kind of like that plaque. He takes that piece of paper and he writes apostle over it and sticks it over the door. I said, what are you doing? Don't do that. Don't mess with my plaque. That's my pastor's plaque. Don't mess with it. He said, son, you have an apostolic calling on your life. I said, I don't want that. That's not what I want to do. He said, well, you do. And he didn't know me from Adam. And he used to do that every time he came. Did he do that? He would say, you keep hiding behind that pastor's label. You're going to flirt with disobedience. And I've been disobedient to the calling before. He said, you're flirting with disobedience to the calling God's put on your life. That's nothing I wanted to do. I didn't want to go back there. I still remember what that was like. And so I said, okay, Lord, if I'm going to do this, you're going to have to help me. Show me what to do. And if it'll bring the vision to pass, I'm all in. And so he did. And Brother Jim came and began to teach me. And here's the thing, one of the things Brother Jim taught me about the whole setup of where the church is supposed to be organized. If you look in the, in the New Testament and you realize the fivefold calling of apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, which one of those words do you think is mentioned more often in the New Testament? One of the ways that scholars judge doctrine is how often is it repeated if it's repeated more and more and more, then it's considered to be of higher and higher. Uh, there's two, the principal law of first mention, where is it first mentioned? And then subsequent to that, how many times is it repeated? And so, and so that's the way the scholars come up with this stuff. I don't know how they, that's, so anyway, the word apostle appears 81 times. The word prophet appears 149 times in the New Testament. In the New Testament, not the, in the New Testament. The word evangelist appears three times. The word pastor appears 18 times. And the word teacher appears 53 times. So based on this principle of interpretation of Scripture, what you can see is, is that the church in America has majored in the minor offices and has completely eliminated the, the office of prophet and apostle. And I want you to understand one thing. When you go back and you look at Paul's work, and he was the most successful, he said this himself, he said he was the most successful missionary apostle in the history of the church. But if you will go study, when was his success the most? When was he most successful? When he took Silas with him. Silas was a prophet. And the two of them would go together. And nobody won more souls, set up more churches, planted more churches, set in more pastors and elders than Paul did. Even, I don't believe anybody even in the modern era can touch him. He operated under that gifting of that office. And so Jim began to teach me about all these things, and I was amazed. And he began to show me how when a church starts voting, You've, you've let a political spirit get in a church. A church is not a democracy, it's a theocracy. A church is not a democracy. See, it's very offensive to an American. It's a theocracy. What does that mean? That means God runs it. Well, how does he run it? He runs it through men he's appointed to have authority over it that pray and listen and listen. Elders are, uh, uh, elders are supposed to be a, a, a committee of wise men. You bounce things off of them. You don't just run out and do things. You go ask the elders to pray, and the elders come back. There has never been in this church, 
Anything that we have done from this fellowship hall to anything that we have done that cost a lot of money or was a big thing for us to do, there has never been. I have always gone to Roger and Bill, and they have gone, and they have prayed, and we have gotten back together, and we have compared, and God has never told me something different than he has told them. We've always done things with agreement. That's why we don't have, dis that's why we don't have discord in this church. Is we just do what God says to do. We don't do anything else. We just do what God says to do. And there's some empty seats in here. People didn't like it. Adios. Don't let the good Lord, the, the door hit you where the good Lord splits you. I, I'm, I'm, not being, I'm not trying to be ugly. I'm trying to tell you the church belongs to Jesus. And we work for him. It always grieves me when people leave the church when we do something and they don't like it. But we haven't had that happen in a long time. I called Jim one time and I said, man, I've had 10 families leave the church. He said, well, better them leave the church than them sit around and figure out ways to carve your liver. Let them go. The greatest thing that ever happened to this church was the people that left. I learned that lesson the hard way. He had to hold my hand through it. Let them go. Because people that stay in this ministry are people that get the vision. They subscribe to the vision. They love the vision. They understand the vision. They're part of the vision. Those are the ones that are supposed to be there. Amen. So, the word churches that just rely only on the word for guidance. And the word is good. The word's important. I'm not trying to. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit helping you interpret the word, you're in trouble. You know, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17 says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God should be complete, thorough, and equipped for every good work. But it says in 2 Timothy 3.7 that the religious people are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth because you need the Holy Spirit to interpret that which he wrote. He's the author. You want to find out what a, what, what a book really means? Go ask the author. Amen? And so, so when you have this spiritual interchange and, then, and you're living your life interactively with the Holy Spirit, it's amazing the insight that he gives you from the Word. So I've told you this long story to, to explain how we got here. So we started to pursue this reluctantly. And, and so God says, I'm going to begin to, you're going to begin to set in ministries that are going to make a difference, that are going to believe in the vision, and I'm going to work through them. I'm going to work through those ministries. And the next thing I know, Val's asking me to go do a walk down at Emmaus at New Horizons. I ain't got time. I said, I don't think I got time. She said, well, pray about it. I told the Lord, I said, I ain't got time. He said, you take the time. I said, okay. So I went down there, and my goodness, we were talking about it yesterday. It was so strategic to all of this other. See, how many times when you're following a vision, a lot of times you'll go down a path the Lord will call you to go down, and you know, that ain't got nothing to do with what I'm trying to do. And you find out later it was absolutely essential to what he was trying to do. And that's where we connected with some of these good folks. By the way, I was supposed to welcome you. Welcome all you, all you visiting folks here that are from down there. And that, that community, I found out, was strategic. I believe God is doing something transformative in this region. And he's doing something for transformative in this region that he can display to the rest of the country. And say, this is what happens when Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, look at what you got. How's that working for you? In the words of Dr. Phil, how's that been working for you? Wouldn't you rather have this? And so I'm, I'm still believing that, that it's, it's important to God's attempt or his efforts to restore America. is for us to be different. Amen?
and for us to be led by the Spirit of God. So, in this process of pursuing this vision and going down roads I never thought I would go down, God has put some really important people in our life and people that we have grown to really, really love. And two of them are Roger and Jill. And uh, they are extremely special. They have, a, they have a great passion for the Lord. They have a, a ministry called Narrowgate Ministries that they started in Leveland, Texas. And they have a real heart for uh, families that struggle with addiction. With not just the person. This is what I love about their ministry. They don't just minister to the person who has the addiction. Although they have a lot of insight and can help them. They minister to the damage that it's done in the family. How many of you know that living in a family with an addicted parent is extremely hard on you? Can I get a witness out of somebody? And, and this, is a, this is a ministry. I don't know of any generation that needs this ministry worse than this generation does. And uh, they have an incredible testimony of the things they've been through in life that God's brought them through. Jill has uh, been uh, a community lay director of the Walk to MS at New Horizons. By the way, there's a men's walk coming up February the 10th through the 13th. You need to sign up if you haven't been. It's a life-changing experience. I encourage you to, to get signed up for that. She's, uh, she's also been a lay director on a walk. Roger was a lay director on a men's walk. I wore, had the high honor and privilege of working that walk with him. And, uh, and we had a lot of fun, didn't we? See, the thing about Roger is if, you ain't, if you're not having fun, he ain't going to do it, Ellie. It's got to be fun. <laughs> he loves having fun. And, uh, and saw God do some crazy things. And um, so they're an important part of what God is doing in this region. They're an important part of the Healand vision. And so when God called us to form an apostolic ministry that we call Acts, Associated Churches Through Service, uh, they, are going to, they are the hub for hope. In Level Land, Roger and Jill are, are part of the leadership there, which is a crazy ministry because it's just the way it's, way it's organized. It's like cool. I mean, it's like if you've got problems, go there because they'll find a spoke in the hub that'll, that'll work for you, and, and everybody does a little something different. They're all very close. Nobody steps on each other's toes. Well, most of the time, nobody steps on each other's toes, and, and they figure out a way to work together to help people. And they've been helping people there for a long time. So I'm very, very honored and excited. And this is a fulfillment of, not complete fulfillment, but, a, but, a, but an encouragement for me. Because I believe that we're about to see God do something major and big. And all of these ministries are going to be an important part of it. So, Roger, if you and Jill will come up here, I'd like to get Carol to come. Do we have the oil here? Where's the oil? I'll just come up here. Amen. We're excited. Let's get the oil anointing. I want to read this over you before we anoint you. Brother Jim read this over me. I want to read it over you. It's out of Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 22. Therefore I also have heard of your faith in the Lord and your love for all the saints. And I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, 
that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, of your inheritance that he has for you in the saints? And what is the exceedingly greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places? Far above all, principalities and powers and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things and to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fulfills all. So we set you in as pastors, ordained and called by God, and overseers of Narrowgate Ministries. And everyone stand and lift your hands out towards them and let's pray for them. This is, an, this is an incredible day, God, because the kingdom of the devil is about to suffer damage. That there is, a, there is an anointing now and there is an authority now that has fallen, a mantle that has fallen on them that will take them to the next level in their ministry. And there will be souls that will be set free, souls that will be healed, souls that will be made whole in Jesus' name. And they're going to see the love of Christ, the power of Christ through these two through their ministry. We pray you can camp your angels around about them. You protect them. You use them. You continue to guide them. And thank you that you have now anointed them to go places and do things they never thought they could do. You're about to demonstrate to them that they have the power in them is greater than the power of the world. And that they will do extraordinary things in your name because you've called them. And now you're sending them. And we set them in as pastors over Narrowgate Ministries, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, Amen, Hallelujah. Praise you, God. Praise you, Lord. Love you, brother. Love you. Woo! Amen. Hallelujah. Praise you, God. It's a great day. We're going to have a little reception for them out in the fellowship hall. And uh, if you got a Second, they want to say something to them. I know that there's probably some of us that have come from a long ways that have done a lot of ministry with them and probably want to share a little insight. You know, if you got something on Roger, now's the time to, to use it. Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> but uh, uh, I just want to thank you all for coming. I just, I just am excited. I want you to be excited about what God's doing in this area and in your life. I don't care what, you're, I don't care what you faced and what you, what, you, what you have that you're going through now. You remember, you're in a special place at a special time, and God wants to do a special thing in your life. Amen? And trust in Him, and let Him. You've got ministers that you can talk to that will help you. Roger and Jill have been through some real stuff. Don't think for one minute that He called them because every day is a holiday, and they never had to go in through anything. They have been in the battle. They have battle scars. I have found that God will not anoint someone who's never been on the battlefield. He won't entrust leadership to someone who's never, ever had a face-to-face -face encounter with the enemy. They have. They can help you. 